Well, brothers and sisters, we return this morning to our study of the Lord's Prayer. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open with me once again to Matthew chapter 6. Just to review for a moment where we have been over the past few weeks, we began with our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven reminding us of the privilege through Jesus Christ and through our union with Him of addressing the God of the universe with intimacy. And then we spoke about hallowed be your name, which reminded us that when we approach this great God, it's His glory that precedes everything. It's His glory that is paramount. His name, and we unpack that, His name, which means His character, His work is to be revered, adored, before and over all things. So that's as far as we've gotten. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Well, today we move on to the next Two petitions of the Lord's Prayer, two petitions that we might say really in context, we could put them together and make them one. We began with the character of our God, and now we move on to the cause of our God. So I'm going to read once again the text I've read for the last few weeks, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. I invite you to follow along if you're willing and able. It's our tradition here at Ascension to stand for the reading of God's Word, and I invite you to do that with me. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. These are the words of Jesus. Listen as I read. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words, but do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please go ahead and take your seats. I think there's a good chance my mom is watching right now. And she can verify this statement that I'm about to say. It's a phrase that I heard quite a bit when I was growing up in her house, often spoken by her. Nathan, the world doesn't revolve around you, son. You are not the center of the universe. Perhaps you've heard that phrase spoken to you at some point. I have had to pull it out on occasion in my own parenting. It's a hard truth for us to accept, particularly when we are young and particularly in this 
day, and age. But even as adults, I think we need to be reminded of this. So often, like children, and we've talked about this before in various contexts, so often we, like children, we are about our kingdoms. We are about our wills. Like children, we demand that our needs should trump everything. And that's why in our prayers, we often just jump to the give us part. Give us. But Jesus has slowed us down. He's slowed his followers down in this prayer. I've tried to slow us all down as we've unpacked phrase by phrase the emphasis of this template that the Lord has given us. Again, not a magic prayer, not simply a rote prayer, but a template for prayer. So this morning I want to dig into our next two petitions by considering four truths this morning, four truths from this one sentence. Four simple reminders that are easy to hear, but that are hard to live out. And the first one is this. It's not about you. It's about Him. Life is not about you. It's about Him. This, of course, ties in and it builds on where we have already been in our study of this prayer. Last week, a bunch of the men from this church gathered for our monthly men's reading group. And one of the things that we did in the chapters that we discussed is we discussed what the author brought up as five fundamental truths. I think he was using another author as he spoke about this in his own book. But five fundamental truths that we ought to be speaking and making sure that our young men hear and understand. And of course, we could extend that to all of our young people. I'm not going to read all of the five truths, but the, I'll read the first three. These are hard realities that came out of our book study. The first hard reality is life is hard. Life is hard. The second reality is you are not that important. You are not that important. And the third reality is your life is not about you. It's not about you. And we talked about these realities and the other two that were, that were added on. And as the author pointed out, without the gospel, those realities, those hard truths would send us into absolute despair. <laughs> and so when we hear those hard truths, we've got to backfill them with the gospel. Life is hard. Absolutely. We live in a broken, fallen world. But we serve a God who is good and who works all things for the good of those who love Him. You are not that important. When you look in the stars at night and you see that star and you feel small and insignificant, you, you are small. But in Christ, you are not insignificant. You are a beloved child of the Most High. And then finally, your life is not about you. That brings us to where we are at today. 
Because Jesus reminds us once again this morning that as children of the Heavenly Father, yes, our lives are not about us. It's about His kingdom, and it's about His will. And so let's unpack this a little bit, what Jesus is saying when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just what is the kingdom and how does the kingdom come? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was a central concept in Jesus' ministry. Matthew 4, 23, he went throughout all Galilee teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The word kingdom is mentioned 126 times in the Gospels. Books and books and books have been written about the concept of the kingdom. It has been dissected from every angle. We do not have time to go into the depths here this morning. If we were to just think about kingdom in terms of just the base word, a kingdom is a territory over which a king Rules, right? That's the basic definition of a kingdom. The territory over which a king rules. And so let's just focus on that for a moment in Jesus' words. The focus being on dominion and rule. One author says this very succinctly, that the kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. It's a very simple definition. Again, a lot more could be said. Of course, we acknowledge that God has always been and will always be on the throne, right? The scriptures testify to that fact. This is our Father's world. Every molecule in space is His. Every inch in this universe is His. Psalm 103 asserts, the Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. And so we're not praying for God to rule in this way. He already does rule in this way. Whether when the New Testament speaks of kingdom, when Jesus speaks of the kingdom coming, he is speaking of the rule over his people, over this redemptive rule. A redemptive rule that took on vivid color in the coming of the Lord Jesus. For through Jesus' mediation, the kingdom of God opened for us in a way that it had never been opened for us before. The Apostle Paul declared in Colossians 1, He, that is Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So what the fall has disrupted, Jesus comes to restore And so, brothers and sisters, when we pray, your kingdom come, we aren't specifically praying for peace and justice in the world, for better schools and safer streets. We need to be praying for those things. No, when we pray your kingdom come, we are praying for God to establish his redemptive rule in our hearts, in our lives, in the hearts and lives of those around us. That reign in us and in others then ripples out into our schools, into our streets. 
And indeed, that becomes the manifestation. To tie it to the first petition, the kingdom displays how God's name is to be hallowed. And therefore, at the very center of this prayer, your kingdom come, is us. Is the church. Is our work. This is what we're to be about. The Scriptures make it clear that the church is integral for life in the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom are given to the church. To the church's functions of word and sacrament and prayer and fellowship, the church is the nurturer, the protector, and the displayer of life in the kingdom of God. The church is where God's kingdom and God's rule is manifested and displayed for all to see. John Calvin said it this way, it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. And this, we would say, is God's will. (laughs) Your will be done. This is the will of God. Now let me make an important distinction. We are not praying for God's sovereign will to be done in the sense that God has decreed everything that shall come to pass. It is done. We are praying that His revealed will would be done. That His commands that the path of life that he has laid out for his church and for his people and for all who come to him would be followed. That is what Jesus is inviting us to pray. That as his rule and as his will are responded to perfectly in heaven, that same response would be here on earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's not about us. It's about Him. So let's look at a few implications of that truth as we continue to unpack this a bit. The second truth this morning is this. It's not about your legacy. It's about the nations. It's not about your legacy. It's about the nations. Legacy is a romantic notion in our culture. We've created halls of fame, right? In order to attempt to immortalize the accomplishments of those who accomplish certain things, amazing things in certain areas of sport. I think at times that concept is the world's attempt to console themselves Because they know that all their toil, their chasing after whatever, will inevitably come to an end. As they will come to an end. That was one of the other hard truths in the five hard truths is that you're going to die. Everyone's headed to the same inevitable reality. So legacy matters, but not so much personal legacy Legacy, when it's in line with the kingdom of God 
And that is what your kingdom come reminds us of. When we pray your kingdom come, we are praying that Christ's rule and will will receive, as I said, the same reception on earth as it does in heaven above. And so we could say that this prayer, this petition, this phrase is an evangelistic prayer. Right? We are praying for the abolishment of unbelief. We are praying for the success of the gospel. We are praying for the nations to come to Him. We are praying, Holy Spirit, come and do your thing in the lives of those who don't yet know you. Again, as I said last week, and I'm going to quote our confessions and our catechisms quite a bit today because they're so helpful, both the Heidelberg as well as the Westminster unpack the entirety of the Lord's Prayer. It's worth looking and reading through what it says, both of those documents. But again, the Westminster Catechism is helpful. It says this, in the second petition, acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be by nature under the dominion of sin and Satan, we pray that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed. That the gospel propagated throughout the entire world, the Jews called and the fullness of the Gentiles brought in. Oh, that's good. That's exciting. That's revolutionary. One author says this, the Lord's prayer is for revolutionaries, for men and women who want to see the kingdoms of this world give way to the kingdom of our Lord. Therefore, we are not America first. We are God's kingdom first. The kingdom of God doesn't arrive through moral reform or social justice. The kingdom of God doesn't arrive through political action or cultural influence. The kingdom of God breaks into this world through God's Word and God's Spirit. The announcement of a crucified King that transforms a people. That's why I love having men like Vasily come and speak to us. And remind us of what God is doing half a world away. But there's more that I think we can unpack in these phrases. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's not about your legacy. It's about the nations. And then number three, it's not about your comfort. It's about your holiness. It's not about your comfort. It's about your holiness. We would all say in this room that in Christ we are citizens of this new kingdom and yet we struggle to live in obedience to its ways. Sin remains. Sin abides. The battle wages on. And therefore, praying this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's not just about them. Those outside of these walls, the nations who don't know and confess that Christ is their Lord, it's not just about those people, it's also about us. I mean, your kingdom come, your will be done is a prayer for sanctification, for growth in grace at all costs. You see, this is where the Heidelberg Catechism plants its flag. It says this, thy kingdom come means this. Rule us by your word and your spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. 
We who regard his name as holy, as to be hallowed, we want to reflect that holiness in our own lives. And so we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here in Nate Hitchcock. It's a confession that God knows best. God's agenda is mine now that I will yield to His purposes and His will. You know, we love sometimes in the evangelical church to camp out on Jeremiah 29, 11. We love to pull that verse out and we say, I know what God's will is. God knows the plans He has for me, plans for me to prosper. And then everything hits the fan and suffering comes. And we say, what in the world? God's abandoned us. No, this prayer is one that says, your ways are not my ways. I acknowledge that suffering produces in me endurance. I acknowledge that sometimes the refiner uses fire to refine me. And I know that you are my Father. I know that I am in good hands. I know and I want your name to be hallowed at whatever cost. And therefore, your will would be done. John Wesley, old pastor and hymn writer, says this. This is a prayer he wrote. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Your will be done. Oh, that we might have the grace to pray that kind of prayer. I began with Westminster Catechism and its talk about the second petition. It concludes that answer. I cut it short. It concludes in this way. By His grace, make us able and willing to know, do, submit to His will in all things with a like humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, and constancy as the angels do in heaven. See, this is the prayer that led Jesus, our Lord Jesus, to the cross. As Jesus agonized in the garden at what he was facing, and he said his food was to do the will of his Father, which is why he said, Not my will be done, but your will be done. Brothers and sisters, it's It's tapping into Jesus. It's being united to the one who taught us these words, relying on his spirit that resides in all of us. That is the only way that we can begin to pray like this. It's not about us. It's not even in praying that it's not about us. It's about him. One final implication of praying this way, and then we'll conclude. It's not just about today. It's about what is to come. It's not just about today. 
It's about what is to come. We are people who struggle to not live in the moment. But this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it lifts our eyes and it lifts them and causes us and forces us to look to the end, to the fullness of the kingdom, which we will never see before Jesus returns. I've used this phrase a lot. This kingdom is already and not yet. You and I live between the comings of Christ and when Jesus came to earth, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, the kingdom of God intruded in our world that, in a way that it had never intruded in our world before. Jesus says, through me and my work, it has begun. The kingdom is here. Through you, the church, indwelt by my Spirit, the kingdom is here. And yet the Lord's Prayer focuses on the fact that there is a not yet as well. That there is so much more to come. And of course, John gets a glimpse of so much of this. In the book of Revelation, he sees the praise around the throne. He sees the destruction of the wicked. He sees the victory and the marriage and the supper of the Lamb. And he sees how it's done in heaven and he longs for that. And so how does John conclude that vision of all he sees of the not yet? How does John conclude that? Come, Lord Jesus, come. And that's why you often will hear me pray, come, Lord Jesus. That's why we need to be praying, come, Lord Jesus. Come and make all things right. Come and make all things new. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. People of God, can we really pray this prayer like this? I hope so. I hope that by His grace we can learn to pray. We frequently let this prayer roll off of our lips. But if we really thought about the implications of what it is that we're saying, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our legacy. It's not about our comfort. It's about the nations. It's about God perfecting His people, His church for His glory. And it's about His bringing all things under His rule, under His reign. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for these words from our Savior we thank you for the opportunity to sit and to let them soak into our minds and soak into our hearts. Father, forgive us for so often in the way that we spend our time, even in the way that we spend our money, we are about building our kingdom rather than about your kingdom. Father, we as a church... We confess that we, we need to grow in what it looks like to let these phrases dominate all that we're about. 
Father, even as we just meditated upon, we are so thankful that the Lord Jesus has shown us the way. That He who walked in accord with the Father's will by the power of the Spirit now gives us His Spirit to be able to do the same. To be able to put to death our flesh and walk in the way everlasting. And so, Father, would You take this Word, may it not return to You void, but accomplish all that You intend for it to accomplish in our individual lives, in the lives of our families, and in our life together as the Church of Jesus Christ, and specifically as Ascension Presbyterian Church. Oh, Father, this I pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.